Well, we're going to continue our series today. I'm excited about today. I think it's an interesting section, an interesting, um, what's the word we're looking for? It's an interesting intersection, I guess, of I'm looking for a job, I'm an employee, or I'm an employer, and I just want to share this. Last week, I took my son out of school for a little father-son time, and so I took him out of school, and we went up to Lake Michigan to do some king salmon fishing, and in the process, we got stormed out. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how one friend of mine was able to pull it off on the same day that we were up there, and he got to go, and we got stormed out. I don't know, I don't know how that happened. But I said, hey, buddy, you like fish. Uh, the Shedd Aquarium is 45 minutes away in Chicago. Why don't we just take our poles, dump them over the edge in the aquarium, and catch whatever's at the aquarium? No, I'm joking. We didn't do that. But we did go to the aquarium. And we got there, and we got a little bit early because we were supposed to meet our captain at 6 a.m., and he called it, and so I said, well, Shedd Aquarium's 45 minutes away in Chicago. Why don't we go there? But the, the aquarium doesn't open for another two hours, and it's only 45 minutes away. We're going to hit rush hour in Chicago. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. I don't know about you. Indianapolis is enough, but Chicago, well, we went. We got in rush hour in Chicago. It was okay. And I said, i tell you what we're going to do. Your grandpa's a big, okay, now all you Cardinals fans, be quiet for a minute. I said, your grandpa's a big Cubs fan. Why don't we drive by Wrigley Field, take a picture, send it to him while he's at work. We'll make your grandpa jealous. And so we did that. And while we're in Wrigleyville, we drove by the church in Wrigleyville where Lynn and I got this whole idea where we're going to start a church. And we were, so we, I drove by that church. And you ever notice, like, when you start telling your son, yeah, that church right there, that's where Lynn and I got our big idea that we were going to start this church. And he's like, Dad. But in Wrigleyville, there's this intersection. And I don't know how to describe it. I really don't. It's like maybe four blocks away from Wrigley. And it's like one, two, three. I think there's like four roads that come across. And there are stop signs, stop lights, I should say, everywhere. And I'm like, is that light for me or is that light for, oh, my light's, okay, this is my light. And and it was chaos, and it was rush hour, and it was nuts. And so I figured it out, and I got down the right path and got down the right street. And thankfully, that little trip, we killed some time, and we kind of drove around Chicago and looked at buildings and whatever, and then we went to the aquarium. But at that intersection, I wasn't sure what to do because there were literally four roads that came and like you could do this out your window and touch the car next to you or this and touch the person next to you. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I just want to get back to, can I just get back to lapel where I, where I can drive down a road and I'm the only person, maybe there might be another car. Like, can I just get back there? Anybody feel, anybody with me? Let me see your hands. Yes, like all of you, because you're from this area, right? Exactly. Like, it's good to visit for a few days, but then I'm done. Like, I'm, I, I need out. And so, what we find today is that intersection. As we talk about, you know, every good endeavor and our work being God's and being a part of God's work and, and how our careers and our jobs relate to God. Well, today we have this intersection of, I'm looking for a job... 
I'm employed, or maybe I own my own business and I'm an employer. And so we're going to look at all three of those. We're at that crossroads. We're going to look at how do I get a new direction? So we're going to start off with, I'm looking for a new job. What does the Bible have to say about changing careers or looking for a new job? Believe it or not, the Bible has some advice. You have to do a little bit of digging. And so I'm going to, I've done the digging for you. And so I'm going to serve it up to you this morning. So if you're looking for a career, you're looking to find a new career, what do we do? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Acts chapter 15. But I want to give you a little bit of a background in Acts chapter 15. The church is growing. The church is expanding at record pace. But it's expanding within Judaism. It's expanding amongst the Jews. In fact, all the, most all of the Christians up to this point are Jews. And so they've taken a lot of the laws and what we would call the Old Testament, and they've brought them in to their newfound Christianity, and they're living out their life. But something begins to happen. As it does with any move of God, it doesn't just stay put. If you study moves of God throughout history, you find that they begin to finger out. And so this, in Acts chapter 15, begins to finger out. And what happens are Greeks start coming in. Africans start coming in. Other Middle Eastern people start coming into Christianity. And they all have their own different backgrounds. And now they have in the early church a problem. Well, this has only been for Jews. How do we, how do we take all of these people of different cultural backgrounds, different ethnicities, different belief systems... And how do we incorporate them into this new found religion called Christianity? Now, it wasn't called Christianity at the time. It was called the way. Oh, you're a member of the way. Yeah. So what they did, the 12 disciples lived in Jerusalem, and they, and they kind of came to a meeting. They, they, they spent some time in prayer, I believe, and, and they began to talk amongst themselves. And here's what they said, and here's the key to finding a career. In Acts chapter 15, verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. They said, okay, all of the Greeks and the Africans and the, and the other folks from the Middle East and the Europeans that are starting to come into this faith called Christianity or the way, after prayer, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit not to burden you with all of these additional Jewish laws except for you guys simply obey these. And they simply gave them three things to obey. You can go back in Acts chapter 15 and read it. They said just obey these three things and the rest will begin to work itself out. But in this verse that we just read, they said... Two interesting things. They said it seemed good to what? To the Holy Spirit and to us. Which means what they have done is two things that you should do when you're looking for a new career or to change jobs. One, pray. Seek the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying to me? How is the Holy Spirit leading 
Right? You can find, and how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Well, we can find counsel in our friends who know God. Well, I've seen God operate this way in your life, and it seems like your life's taking this trajectory, and you seem to be really interested in these things. So you can get advice from friends when you're looking for a new career. The Holy Spirit can speak through friends. In fact, Proverbs says there's counsel in many, that there's wisdom in seeking advice from people. And so the Holy Spirit then sometimes will speak through people. What does the Word of God say about that career? Can you find it in the Bible? What does the Word of God say about that particular career? So there's the Holy Spirit moving and working in someone's life. And then they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. What does our logic tell us? What am I naturally good at? Where are my giftings? Where are my talents? What do I enjoy doing? Do I enjoy working with my hands? Do I enjoy repairing engines? Do I, re- do I enjoy teaching others and seeing the light bulb come on for them? What do I enjoy doing? Because it's likely that God has given you those gifts and those talents for a reason. All right? And we talked about some of that last week of introducing God's character into the world with our gifts and talents. That's how we should approach our job. When I go into the job tomorrow morning, I'm going in saying, these are the talents and the giftings that God has given me, and I'm going to go into the world and display God's characteristics with my gifts and talents and my abilities. And so the two things that are at play, their understanding, which means, as Socrates once said, and I'm going to paraphrase Socrates, he says that a life that's not reflected upon is not worth living. In other words, if you're not taking time to look back over your life and figure out how you've learned and what you've learned and how you've gotten to where you're at, Socrates simply says your life's not, it's not worth living because you're just going to keep doing the same stuff over and over and over again. You've got to look back and say, okay, what's going on here? In fact, one of the books that I'm currently reading, the author says that we often think of our calendar as a planning tool to, to plan out and schedule and make sure that I don't double and triple book and I meet with the right people. But the author says that when he counsels with people, he uses the calendar to discover priorities. He uses one's calendar for personal reflection Why did I schedule that meeting? Why did I feel it was important to meet with that person? How does that change my life? And so he uses uses someone's calendar as a means of counseling and coaching and mentoring because it reflects a lot of what they deem important. And he reflects. So understanding yourself and your gifts and your talents, and number two, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and where he's leading. Right? That's important. That is important. Why is this important? Listen to me. If you're a millennial, listen up. Millennials will have, they're projecting, according to research done by Monster.com, millennials will have 12 different careers over their lifetime. Not jobs. Not 12 different jobs. 12 different careers. Careers. So I'm a mechanic, and I said I don't want to be a mechanic anymore, so I'm going to move over, and I'm going to get into training. And so I'm going to become a professional trainer. And I'm going to go from training, and I might move into marketing, and I might be done with marketing, and I might move over to become a law enforcement You will have, they're suggesting that millennials will have almost 12 different careers before they retire. And if you don't know yourself and know where the Holy Spirit's leading, you're going to keep jumping and moving around, etc. So I want to get real practical for a minute. I know this isn't a lot of spiritual 
you know, insight, but I believe it is because God encourages us to know ourselves and know ourselves well. So I got a few recommendations. Um, if you're looking to change careers, Quitter is an amazing book. Quitter by John Acuff, Closing the Gap Between Your Day Job and Your Dream Job. So Quitter is a good one. I'd recommend that. Uh, this book was pivotal in my change to get out of corporate America and into what I'm doing now. It's called 48 Days to the Work You Love, and it's a tremendous book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, and it's got tools in the back. It helps you with, uh, it'll help you with all sorts of different things on how to fill out a resume, how to interview, how to make a transition, how to save up to move into a new career that you want to do. This is key. And the one book that I really wanted to focus on that I don't have, I must have given it away, it's called Strength Finder 2.0. When I'm counseling or working with high school students going into college, or if I'm talking and working with college students trying to figure out what they want to do for their career, I always, always, always have them purchase the book Strength Finder 2.0. And I'm not going to get into, into a lot of it. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on ChristianBookDistributors.com. You can find it at your local Barnes & Noble. And basically what it does is it says everybody has, a, everybody has a set of talents. Every human being, they said there's 33 talents. Every human being has all 33 of these, but some are higher ranked than others. And if you can find careers that are in your top three, you're going to find a career that you are really good at. And the lower you go on that level, the more stressful your job is, the more irritating your job is, etc. because you're not working within your top three, your top wheelhouse. And so if you're looking to change careers, if you're in college, I highly recommend getting Strength Finder 2.0. Lynn and I counsel with people with that all the time. There's a little test you can take uh, in the back. You get a code, get online, take the test. And so if that's you and you're looking to make a transition, go for it. These are just the three books that I have used that have worked. I know there's thousands more out there but they're huge. It's important that you understand yourself, that you reflect. As they said in the book of Acts, we did what seemed good with the Holy Spirit and with us and what we understood. And so it's a working together. Now, what about the next group? Maybe you're, not, maybe you're fine. Maybe you're like, you know what? I enjoy my job. I have a good job. I'm not looking to change. Where do we go next? Well, you might be an employee. Let me see your hands if you're working for somebody. You're an employee. Let me see your hands. All right. Okay, put your hands down. Every kid should have your hand up because you work for mom and dad. Right? You work for mom and dad. Okay? So, you're an employee. What does the Bible have to say about employees? And the same passage we're going to use for if you're an employer, own your own company. In Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 9. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know the Lord will reward each one for whatever good, jo- whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, 
You're like, Tyson, what does this have to do with being an employee or being an employer? What in the world? He's talking about slaves. Well, I'm going to ask you to travel back in time with me. How many of you like history? Yes. History teacher better have his hand up, right? And so I'm going to ask you to travel back in time with me to a conversation between Abraham Lincoln and one of the leaders, the political leaders of the Confederate South. And I don't remember the name, but it is in the book, Lincoln's Battle with God. And the, right before the Civil War, the Confederate political leader goes to the White House. He says, you understand that the Bible and God is on our side because the Bible encourages slavery. Well, it does say slave. We just read it. But Lincoln had a better understanding of the culture. Lincoln had a better understanding of not only the culture, but of the writers of Scripture. And he retorted and replied and kind of pushed back on the southern political leader. And he said, you, sir, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty sure he started off with you, sir. He said, you, sir, need to read your Bible more closely. And if you would, you would understand that a slave in that culture was not based on skin color. It was based on debt. That you became a slave once your debt level reached so high and you could no longer pay it off, you had to go to work for the person you owed money to. And so in today's culture, I'm going to step on your toes. You ready? Pick them up. Everybody pick your toes up off the floor. Pick them up. Pick them up. If you owe debt, you were a slave. So when Paul writes this, he says, to you slaves that are paying off and working off your debt, slavery was based on economics to pay off debt, not based on skin color. That's the difference between slavery in the United States and slavery in Scripture. And so he says, so Abraham Lincoln tells this politician, he goes, I suggest you go back and study your Bible. Wow. So now with that in mind, I'm not going to ask you to show hands who has debt and who doesn't. I'm not going to ask you how much or anything like that, right? But with that in mind, that understanding of slavery, I would say a vast majority of the United States would be considered slaves. You owe somebody some money somewhere, somehow. If you've got a mortgage, if you've got a car loan, school loan, the Apostle Paul would say you are a slave to that debt. So then what do you do? Well, you go get a job, right? You get a job to pay off your debt. You get a job to pay the house, to pay the mortgage. You get a job to pay for the car. You get a job. And so if we look at this scripture in that light and keep it in context of the day, now we've got a whole new perspective. Now we're saying, okay, those of you that are employed, this is how you should handle your employment. And those of you that are employing others, this is how you should handle employing them. So let's first talk to the employees. He says, first off, to be sincere, sincerity. It carries the idea of being or having a single heart, a single focus, a single mind, not being distracted. Employees, are you distracted by other stuff while you're on the job? Are you being distracted because your phone keeps ringing because for whatever reason, you know, you keep getting calls from the family or you, you keep getting texts from other people and you can't focus on your job. And yet your employer's paying you for your job to get the work done 
but you're too busy texting family back and forth or doing other things? Are you sincere at your job? Are you single-minded on your job? Because Paul says, hey, employees, you need to be sincere on your job. You need to be focused when you're on your job. This is the way of a Christian, to be focused on the job. The other thing he says to them is, and I love this, he says, not, not only, this was the other part of the passage we read, not only to win, fav- to win their favor when their eye is on you. Oh, snap, here comes the boss. Hurry up, start working. That's, that's essentially what he just said, right? He said, not only, when their fa- not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. Now, I'm not asking for any names, but how have you got that person at work, right? Well, that hand came up quick. <laughs> they work hard when they know the boss is here. But when the boss is on a business trip, you know, and he's like 12 hours away in another state, right? We used to have a saying at the corporation where I used to work. Maybe you've heard it. When the cat's away, the mice finish. Come on, some of you know this. The mice will play. Look at, your, look at your neighbor and go, don't be a mouse. Don't be a mouse. <laughs> right? We don't need mice on the job. We don't need mice on the job. Right? So Paul says that there, he, Paul writes and he tells the slaves in, in the city of Ephesus, he says, listen, some of you just work when the boss is around and when the boss leaves, you walk away. He goes, that's not okay as a Christian. You should be working hard. You should be doing your best job at all times. Does that mean your work's going to be perfect? No. That's ridiculous, right? Look, it it took me a while to figure out that I was never going to get a 10 out of 10 on my yearly review. Like, they would even come across and say, nobody's getting a 10. (laughs) Well, that's like totally disheartening. Disheartening until I realized I read my Bible and it told me I wasn't perfect. I'm like, oh, well, okay. I guess I'm not a 10 either. Because the Bible doesn't call me a 10. The Bible says I need to keep working on myself and getting better, right? And then the next thing that he tells the slaves or the employees is he says, serve wholeheartedly. This carries the idea in the original language to put everything you can into your job while you're at your job, right? Put everything you can into your job while you're at the job. One of, the, one of the companies that I used to work for, they had a big mantra. They had a big, big push. And I knew where it was coming from. But they had this big slogan, and they pushed it. And they even got us little placards for all of us to put on all of our cubicles, all the employees' cubicles and everything. And it was, be here now. Be here now. Well, you know what? They're pushing that, right? Because when you go into a meeting, you're like, Especially if it's one of those meetings where you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the worthless, most pointless thing ever. And so you start daydreaming and whatever, and you're out there, and suddenly somebody comes around and goes, what do you think? Um, yeah, great, yeah, sure, sounds good to me, right? Be here now. To serve wholeheartedly means to put everything into your job while you are there. Now, Does that mean that as a Christian, that as a follower of Christ, that we, 
let's say, let's say you're a follower of Christ and let's say you're a mechanic. Does that mean that you're going to put an alternator on an engine differently than someone who's not a Christian? No. It's not what that means at all. Does that mean you're going to, does that mean that if a Christian would have invented a computer that the computer might look differently than it does now? Probably not. Probably not at all. But what it does mean is that intuitively, on the job, we should be, intuitively, we should be honest. Intuitively, we should be cost efficient. Intuitively, we should be doing a quality job and doing our best, right? We should be cost efficient. That means if I'm a Christian and I own a company, I may not be, my profit margin may not be as big as the guy down the street. And I'll get to that in a little bit as to why that might be the case. But things might look different in my company. Things might look different when I go to work. You say, well, my boss is just getting promoted because of, because of all the work that I'm doing. And my boss got promoted because he took my idea and went to his boss and he got promoted. Hey, shocker. Mm, that's the world we live in. Here's what's going to happen. Your boss keeps climbing the corporate ladder with everybody else's ideas. One day he's going to have to give out an idea and he, he's going to be hosed. Right? It's going to happen. You keep doing your job because you don't work for your boss, as we talked about last week. You work for God. God's the one that will either promote you or demote you, or God will say, you know what, I'm going to let you get the pink slip because I've got something better over here waiting for you. And some of you, that's happened in your life. You've gotten a pink slip, went six months without a job, and ended up with a better job. And the whole time you were stressing, oh my gosh, where's the pay coming from? And yet God kept you, and you got a better job. Right? You work for God, not for your boss. And the next thing that he tells employers, he says, you should know, or literally in the Greek, come to an understanding. Come to an understanding in your job. Come to an understanding around those people that you work with, the people that you don't like. Come to an understanding with them. Understand them. Understand your boss. Seek to understand Ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Seek to understand. And I love this last part that he finishes off, finishes off to, to employees, or he calls them slaves. The Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. The Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. Your boss isn't just looking at you. Your supervisor is not just looking at you for your year of the review. The Lord is watching. And he's saying, you know what, you're doing a great job. I'm going to reward you. Now, here's the amazing part. God doesn't say how he's going to reward you. It might be a pay raise. You might get the top pay raise in your area, in your department. He might say, you know what, you're doing too good of a job here. I'm going to hand you the pink slip, and I'm going to get you a better job over here. It might be, you know what, you're doing so good in such a difficult circumstance and everything, I'm, I'm racking up your reward in heaven where moth, rust, and thieves can't destroy it or steal it. God might reward you in heaven for the amazing job you're doing on your secular job. He, it doesn't say where you get rewarded or how you get rewarded. It simply says that God will, re, will reward you for being a good employee. Wow. Amen to that. Because I guarantee you, God's, 
God's promotion and God's raise is going to be much better than anything my company could do. I don't know how or what he's going to do to reward me, but he re- will reward me. When you, do a good, when you do good on the job, God will reward you. It might be in heaven. I think the statement behind me says in heaven. I scratched that in my notes because it doesn't really say. But it might be in heaven. It might be here on earth. It might be your boss comes and says, you know what? Why don't you just start leaving early? You can just start leaving early. Don't come in on Fridays. And you get that extra time to build your marriage back up or spend more time with your kids. Who knows? But the Bible says that God will reward you for being a good employee. Wow. That's huge. So now that brings us to our third part of this intersection. And that is an employer. If you're a supervisor, manager, director, vice president, whatever, you got people underneath of you, or maybe you run your own company. Paul continues, and and he's talked to the slaves, but now he turns in that passage in Ephesians, and he starts talking to the slave owners. He says, if you got people working for you trying to pay off debt, The first thing he says is, treat your slaves in the same way. What's he say? He's saying, the sincerity, the honest, seeking to understand them as an individual, treat them the same way that I just told them to treat you, right? Be sincere, be wholehearted, work to come to an understanding with one another. Seek to get on the same ground, the same playing field. And then he says something very interesting. He says, do not threaten them. Now, he didn't, tell the slave, he didn't tell the slaves not to threaten their masters. I assume that just goes without saying. But he tells the supervisors, the bosses, the owners, don't threaten your employees. Don't use guilt and coercion to get people to produce more widgets on the line. That is not how you get more widgets produced. Do not use guilt and coercion to try to get somebody to do something they should have done a month ago. He says, that's not healthy. That's not how we do it. But here's what he's not saying. He's not saying you shouldn't warn them. He's not saying, hey, you know, I just asked you to do this a month ago. It hasn't happened. we got to get this done. And I'm just telling you. If we don't get this done, it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact your year review or it's going to impact your job. There's a difference between threatening and coercion and simply giving a warning for a job. A warning is based in honesty. A warning is based in, I want you to do better. I want you to be better. Guilt and coercion is just trying to get out of them whatever you can get out of them. And I'm going to threaten or coerce you to do it, Right? And so if you're a boss, let's, let's back away from the guilt and the coercion, and let's just be honest. Listen, I'm just, I'm just warning you. This isn't going to be good if we don't get this done or if we don't get this out. What can I do to help, right? Let me ask you this. As an employer, because what Paul is talking about, what Paul is talking about, he's really talking about adding value to your employees' lives, adding value to their life. Other than employment and a paycheck and benefits, other than employment, how do I add value to my to employees' lives? How am I adding value to their life? Am I helping their marriage? Am I helping them? Maybe, maybe they're just here getting a paycheck so they can pay off debt because they really want to go do something else. Then how am I empowering them 
to spin them out and chase their own dreams as an employer? How am I helping them as individuals other than just a paycheck and benefits? Or another thing that we could, we could ask ourselves as employers, how are lives being changed as a result of our employment? How is their life better because I'm their boss? How is their life better? Am I helping them with their marriage? Am I helping them with their parenting? Am I helping them with just adding, how am I adding value to their life? Right? That's what I, that's what I want. I want to add value. I want to share with you in a recent survey done by monster.com. They did, they did some surveys between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen Xers, and Boomers. Now listen to, the, listen to this. While salary is important to Gen Z, and Gen Z is just now starting to enter the workforce, right? They're just now starting to go into college or starting to enter the workforce. Millennials have been in the workforce a bit. Gen Xers, we're already starting to think about, like, okay, when do I retire? And the Boomers are like, man, retirement's great. You guys got to get here. Okay? So that's kind of where they're at on the spectrum. While salary is important to this group, it's not the only thing driving them to, har- to work hard. 74%, get this, Gen Z, just now entering the workforce, 74% rank purpose ahead of paycheck. 74% say, I need to know that my job is making a difference or I'm not going to work for you. Don't, don't flash the money, flash me your purpose. And honestly, isn't that much more Christian than saying, show me the money? That's a much, I'm not saying they're, I'm not saying Gen, Gen, all Gen Z is Christian, but I'm saying that's a much more Christian approach. How is our job, how is this company impacting the community for the better? Show me your purpose. 75% of them say that's more important than the paycheck. That's going to be a dynamic shift when Gen Z is in the work, workforce. Are you ready for it as an employer? In comparison, 70% of millennials, that's still high, 70% of millennials prefer purpose over paycheck, and 66% of Gen X and 67% of boomers. It seems like every generation, they need to know that their work matters, that it has purpose, and it's not just doing a job and then going home. So, how does your company, how do you as a supervisor, boss, manager, whatever, how do you add value to your employees' lives? Listen to this. If your Gen Z, um, if your Gen Z hires do decide to quit on you, it may be because they're ready to go solo. Nearly half, half, said they want to have their own company. Talk about a generation full of entrepreneurs. Half of Gen Z want to own their own company and start their own company and do their own thing. So if you're employing people, how are you going to keep the Gen Z around? How are you going to keep millennials around? Because millennials are not quite as high as uh, Gen Z. How are you going to keep them around other than a paycheck? How does their job matter? Can you show your employees, here's how we're impacting our community for the good? Listen, that is far more Christ-like than saying, show me the money. Right? Show me the money. So, as a company, ask yourself this. 
Are we a money-driven company or are we a value-driven company? Are we money-driven or value-driven? There's a difference. Because if I'm money-driven, I'm going to cut, cut, cut corners, do whatever I can to make that bottom line bigger. And we all know companies like that. And what happens? They end up becoming the Enrons of the world, right? They become the Purdue Pharmaceuticals of the world. They become, I'm, I'm money-driven, not value-driven. Value-driven companies like Chick-fil-A, right, or Tyson Foods. Tyson Foods does an amazing job. They have at least one chaplain, if not two chaplains, at every work site. Tyson Foods has a chaplain at every work site. I just happened to, thought that was cool because, you know, anyway. I'll let you put it together. Some of you will get that at 2 a.m. and wake up. You're like, oh, I get it, right? So Tyson Foods has a chaplain at every work site. Interstate Batteries, value-driven company based on Christian principles, Interstate Batteries. The question is, are you money-driven or value-driven? Are you seeking to add value to people's lives? And I just want to give you some recommend. These are three books that I found really helpful both as an employee and as being a boss and, and being responsible for, I had over 100 employees underneath me at one point. The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey is a great book. Speed of Trust, you might rec- recognize Stephen Covey. He's the writer of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a great book if you haven't read it. If you don't read, get the audio versions of, the, of these. Um, this one is good. This was required reading at a Fortune 50 company that I worked for. This was required reading once you got to a certain level. Crucial conversations, tools for talking when stakes are high. It says, if you have this type of employee, this is how you approach them. This type of employee, this is how you approach them. And so, crucial conversation, tools for talking when stakes are high. Great book. Actually, it's good for marriage, too. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> uh, and then, one of my favorite authors and leaders, John Maxwell, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. There's a workbook that goes along with this. There's actually a Bible that goes along with this book, uh, the Leadership Bible that John wrote and authored. Um, He didn't author the Bible. I meant the notes in the Bible. All right. Um, But The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Uh, It's a great book if you're leading people. And what I do is I take I read the book, and then I take a portion of that book, and I try to spend a month incorporating that ideal into my life. Because what I found is after 30 days, that ideal, that principle is pretty much, I pretty much, I've got it. Right? And I can't obviously incorporate all of the book into my life, but I take key things, and I try to incorporate it over the course of 30 days. So let me close with this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27... So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Here's why that's important. The person to your left and the person to your right and the person in front and the person behind and the person that you're going to make mad on the road, all made in God's image. All of them are made in God's image. I'm going to close with this quote by John Calvin. It's not going to be on the screen because I want, you to just, I want you to listen. The great part of men are most unworthy if they be judged on their own merit. But here, Scripture helps 
in the best way when it teaches that we are not to consider that men merit of themselves, but to look upon the image of God in all men, to which we owe all honor and love. You will say, he has deserved something far different than me. Yet, what has the Lord deserved? Remember not to consider men's evil intention, but look upon the image of God in them, which, with its beauty and dignity, allures us to love and embrace them. He says, it's so easy to look at the evil and the bad in people, lest we forget that every person ever born and ever will be born is made in the image of God. And there is some godly quality and godly characteristic in every person. Yes, there's a godly characteristic in a supervisor that drives you nuts, and yes, there's a godly characteristic in that employee you just would rather fire. We all are made in the image of God. So I would encourage you, as we stand up, go ahead and stand up. We're going to close a little differently today. I'd like for you to, as the band plays, I'd like you to find some people that you're comfortable with. And I'd like you to get together. And I'd like for one of you just to pray for the group. And I want you to pray that help us, help to, us to be better employees, help us to be better bosses, help us to find the career that fits our skills and our talents and our the things we enjoy. So I'll give you just a minute or two. Find some people that you're comfortable with, and I want you to pray. I'll let you know when you're ready to pray with them, but just find the people right now. If you're a student, if you're a youth, if you're a student, pray to be a better student with better focus, okay? Now I'm going to ask for one person to pray. Listen up. I'm going to ask for one person to pray. And as they're praying to be a better employee or a, or a better representation of God as a boss, I want you to pray in your head and agree with them. And if you find that the Holy Spirit reveals in your heart you've not been a good employee, I'm going to ask you to ask God to forgive you. If you've not been a good boss, maybe you're not leading your company based on values, you're leading your company based on money, I'm going to ask God to, for, ask God to for, forgive you. So go ahead and pray with each other. All right, I know some people are still praying. Some of you have wrapped up. Next week, listen up. Next week, we're going to get into God's. We're going to talk about a new power for work, a new power for work, a new source of power to get up in the morning and go and be ready to go. You guys have an amazing week. We love you.